Happy Thursday, everyone. Today, I have Courtney coming on to talk about her CPTSD and some of the events in her childhood that led up to her adulthood and her diagnosis. This is only part one of Courtney's story. She will be back later on to give us a part two. So, Keep your eyes open for that if you find the first part of Courtney's experience inspirational. I'm Courtney. I'm 37 years old and um, I'm a mom of two. I work full time as an accountant. I've been married to my husband, Zach, for 13 years. We're about 21 now. Um, we were high school sweethearts, um, and honestly, one of the only reasons that I think that I've ended up where I am today, um, my, my biggest support system. Anyways, I, I tell you guys all that, um, just to give you an idea of, of, uh, life and because, uh, the story that's going to follow is, is, you know, not a great one and, um, but it does have a happy ending. And, um, I want to highlight that because I want to encourage people who come from difficult situations, um, particularly, you know, traumatic childhoods to, um, you know, pursue your goals. Don't, don't let the, the things that happen to you or the life that you were given necessarily hold you back from doing greater things because you are capable of them. I'm a huge mental health advocate. Um, and the reasons why are because, um, first of all, uh, I was raised by a parent with a severe mental health illness. Um, My my mother um, has been schizophrenic my entire living memory. And and then more recently, here within the last um, three and a half, four years, um, I was actually diagnosed with complex uh, disorder. And um, that was... That was kind of um, a big turning point for me. Um, I had never really gotten a lot of help for my own mental health issues, even though um, I was very much brought up in an environment where mental health was a huge, huge factor, you know, in my home. For a really long time, it wasn't until I had what I call a mental breakdown know if that's exactly what it was but um I just remember um there was a period of time about three and a half four years ago where I was just so completely depressed and desperate um and exhausted and just about every you know negative feeling you could have (laughs) at a period of your life. And, um, I was working 50, 60 hours a week. Um, I was barely, you know, I was basically working and, and sleeping and, you know, barely seeing my kids trying to, trying to still take care of them as much as I can in the time period, um, that, you know, I was, I was working that heavily, which was about a six month time span and, um, also taking care of my mother, um, who I, I do take care of now. And, um, and I was driving to work one day and I just remember thinking, and I I wouldn't say that I was suicidal. Um, but I was daydreaming about driving my car off the side of the road. You know, does that make sense? Like I, I, I wouldn't have done it, but I was daydreaming. But no, it makes sense to me. It almost sounds like an intrusive thought. Like you're not going to do it and you know what would happen if you did. 
but it's one of those like you're just driving along and you're like what would happen if I ran into that tree right now right yeah like you're not gonna do it and you know what would happen but your brain has like that itch you can't scratch yeah it's all and it was almost like man if if I could just if I could just put myself in the hospital I could get some sleep I wouldn't have to go to work for a while. I could get some sleep and I wouldn't have to take care of anybody. And like, I know that sounds awful. (laughs) I know that sounds awful. Um, But that was the kind of desperate type of mindset I was in, you know, and um, I was driving to work and I get there and um, I proceed to in my car in the parking lot, just have, I mean, I've had panic attacks before. This was, this was more than a panic attack. This was a complete meltdown of my world. I don't know what exactly happened. Um, just things were really bad with my mom at this point, and she had been in and out of the. Um, I had had to have her committed twice in like a six month time span because we couldn't get her medications regulated. And, um, on top of all that, like I said, I was working 50, 60 hours a week, still trying to take care of my family and not, and feeling like I, you know, wasn't taking care of my family. And, um, and I just proceeded to have like a full on mental breakdown where I could not, I couldn't move. I couldn't think I couldn't do anything, but like sit in my car and hysterically cry for probably a good hour. Um, And, um, somehow I managed to pull myself together enough to pull, to call my manager, um, at the time who, um, had been my friend before they were my manager. Um, and they were kind of familiar with my family situation and that kind of stuff. So it was someone I felt like I could call, you know, and I needed to let someone know why I wasn't at work. So I called my manager um, so that she could, you know, well, I needed to let someone know that I wasn't coming into work. And then, um, also I kind of just needed a support person, you know? And so she sent down one of my friends who I worked with and, um, she came down and sat with me in my car until I was like calm enough to actually, you know, speak words And, um, and I was, I just told her, I'm like, I, I can't, I don't know. I can't get myself to get out of this car. I can't get myself to walk into that building. I can't get myself out of this car. And, um, and so when that happened, you know, she calmed me down, uh, helped me call my doctor. I called my doctor's office and basically she told them, you know, she's like, she's, she's having some sort of mental breakdown and she needs to be seen right away. Um, she does not want to go to the emergency room. Cause I knew that they, I, I knew that I just needed, um, I needed to get set up on the right track as far as medication and, uh, therapy went. I didn't need, um, you know, like rehabilitation type therapy or anything like that at that point. Um, but, but I, I went, I drove straight to my doctor's office and, um, and I sat there until they had an opening and, um, the, I actually saw the physician's assistant and, oh, bless her. I love that woman. I will love that woman for the rest of my life because, um, I've never been treated with so much compassion and care as I was that day um, by, by this woman who, you know, did not need to sit there with me for an hour while I cried and tried to explain what was wrong with me when I couldn't explain what was wrong with me. And she understood and she hugged me and she, you know, just um, was, was a really good care provider for me at that point in time. But anyways, I, um, I don't know, just that experience, 
And then shortly after that, I started therapy um, and seeing an actual um, psychologist. And, uh, you know, I got put on medication. I, I started seeing a psychologist and I got put on medication. I started therapy, um, doing EMDR treatment. And um, that was really when my, um, you know, my, I decided, that was when I decided that I needed to advocate um, more for mental health and, um, you know, just kind of tell my story. And I don't know, I feel like I have a unique perspective. And I really want to help people um, not feel so alone, you know, and know that things do get better. Uh, so shortly after that, um, that was when I was diagnosed with the CPTSD, the complex uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. And um, it was kind of a shock, but it kind of wasn't, um, I don't know, it was it was the beginning of the second chapter of my life. I, I see my life in really two parts, I guess. Um, the before the diagnosis and the after the diagnosis. And, um, after the diagnosis is, is a lot better than before, but it's really hard hearing that you have something like that, you know, um, or, or understanding it even. And then once you do understand it, so many dots, so many pieces of the puzzle start coming together and you start understanding why you do things the way you do or, you know, why you are the way you are um, once you understand how things like this affect you. And so um, I just want to advocate for that and, you know, just advocate, advocate for mental health in general, um, especially for young kids who are raised in traumatic environments. Um, I think there needs to be a lot more focus on teaching children these type of things, um, how to cope mentally, um, how to manage stress, how to um, how to advocate for themselves when they can't, because um, growing up, I wasn't able to advocate for myself and there was no help for me. I want to, I want to advocate for people um, and, and talk about my story and um, the ways that complex PTSD has affected me in my adulthood, I think is very um, not understood by a lot of people. Um, there's so much stigma still around mental health and, and speaking out about these type of things. And um, I think because I'm so mentally aware um, because of how I grew up with my mother. I don't know, it, um, it just, it, it made me want to, want to do things. Did it make you sort <laughs> of want to help break that stigma? Yes. Yes. Okay. It, it made me want to help break that stigma. Um, that's a very good way to put it. Um, I want, <clears throat> I, I want people to be less afraid to admit when they are having a hard time because I see so many people struggling and there's help out there. And there's so many people who just don't reach out or, you know, don't, don't look for the resources and, um, they suffer in silence and there's no need to, 
there, you know, there's no need to, we, we shouldn't be suffering in silence anymore. And more people need to be speaking out about these things. And this is really hard for me to talk about, but if it helps someone, then, you know, I'm happy to do it. But, um, but yeah, I, um, I am still healing. Um, I am still in therapy. I do still take medication, but I've come a long way. Yeah. So the ways that um, my complex PTSD still affects me today um, are, well, one of the most, one of the, I, I, I'm, I have really bad social anxiety. Um, COVID exacerbated that, um, you know, being home for, for two years and, (laughs) you know, not seeing a lot of people. Um, so I have a lot of social anxiety. Um, I get very, uh, very anxious in large crowds, um, visibly anxious. I, I shake, um, a lot of the time. Um, even if I'm not nervous or anything, I just, my nervous system has just been so ravaged by trauma that, uh, I, I shake and I, I'm pretty much, I mean, I do have my, um, anxiety managed for the most part. Um, but it's kind of just something I live with in a way too. Um, it's not completely gone. There's always a little bit of a rock in my stomach most of the time, even today, even though I'm far away from the situations that caused this. Um, I, I have panic attacks pretty easily over... things that shouldn't bother me anymore. Um, for example, I was recently triggered by my dad pretty badly, um, just this past weekend, um, when he mentioned, um, about basically, um, my dad and I didn't have a relationship for a really long time because, um, because of my childhood, but also because, um, my stepmom was, uh, very mentally abusive to me and uh, did not take care of me at all whenever I lived with them and would do, I mean, she gave her kids everything, but I worked for everything I have. Um, and my dad mentioned something about my stepniece a free place to live when she was in college they had an airbnb and um they had given her a free place to live when she was in college and um that kind of triggered me um and i immediately had that fight or flight instinct feeling um so things like that still happen to me from time to time but not nearly as bad as they used to be So I guess I'll go into my childhood story. Um, I was born in 1987. Uh, My parents were still together. And when they were a bit older, my mom was 35. Uh, My dad was also 35, I believe. Um, And had a pretty good life. They, um, my mom worked for an Olin Mills plant. She was, a uh, one of the managers for one of their plants on one of the shifts. And, um, and at that point, you know, she had a pretty good job for not having any college education or anything like that. Um, and my dad was a jeweler and he owned a jewelry store. And so, um, they, you know, they had a pretty, a pretty decent income, I think, and, um, you know, had a house, and I think my mom had a van, and um, I remember, you know, my brother, my mom always talking about my brother having to have uh, things and stuff like that, you know, Um, 
my mother is very much a narcissist and uh, is very, very materialistic. Um, so she likes to talk about how, how she had nice things. So I think that, you know, they were, they were pretty well off, you know, like I said, my dad was a jeweler, he owned a jewelry store and, um, I have one brother, he's 11 years older than me. And, uh, when I was three, so I don't really remember that life. Um, my dad left when I was three and to my mother, which I only have her side of the story. My dad has never talked about it, um, but I tend to kind of believe her version just because of what I know. Um, my dad left in the middle of the night one night, um, packed all of his stuff, and she had no clue that he was leaving. And um, he just packed his stuff and left in the middle of the night and closed the jewelry store and um, basically left my mom with nothing. Uh, he left her for another woman. Her name was Hallie and she lived in Kentucky. We lived on this woman that he left my mom for lived in Kentucky. And uh, so, and she was also, she was also in the jewelry business. I don't know exactly what she did, but um, she was a very fancy lady. I remember she had fur coats and wore a lot of jewelry and you know, that kind of stuff. So um, I'm assuming my dad was attracted to her money as much as, you know, her person. I don't know, but <laughs> I guess I shouldn't assume anything, should I? Assume um, what you want. <laughs> but anyways, I just remember she was a really fancy lady and, um, and so my dad had left and left her for this woman and my parents were still together after my mother had me, my dad convinced her to quit her job at Olin Mills because, um, because he was taking me to work with him and it wasn't working out and he made more money than she did. So I guess it was just more, you know, more convenient for her to stay home with me. And he had convinced her to quit her job. Well, then he left her and he shut down the business and he literally left her with nothing. Like she lost her house. She lost her, her car. Um, she, I mean, she, she lost everything. And, um, and that was, I'm sure very, very mentally hard on her, you know, and, um, on top of that, she had a new baby that she has several times told me that she never wanted any more children. And um, she's even told me before that if she'd known my dad was going to leave her three years later, she would have had an abortion. So, you know, I, uh, I don't think I was a wanted baby. Um, and she had lost her mother shortly before that. Um so I think what happened, you know, I think she lost her mom and she started having some issues. The women in my family tend to have some mental health issues that develop when they're in their thirties. Um, and shortly after my dad left, my mom lost everything. Um, and then she ended up having her first mental breakdown, which ended, she ended up in the hospital, um, and that's when she was diagnosed with schizophrenia. Um, so pretty much my entire living memory, she's been that way. Um, what, what I think kind of happened and what I pieced together from, you know, what people have told me and stuff was my mom was pretty normal um, prior to losing her mother. And then um, my dad before like he would catch my mom sitting up in bed um talking to her mom like after she died and stuff and um so I don't know if that was just grief or if that was like the onset of the schizophrenia um but instead of my dad getting her the help she needed well and then she had me 
at 35 and it was an not necessarily a wanted pregnancy and um and this was before people talked about postpartum depression you know so i'm i'm assuming my mother possibly had postpartum depression and pregnancy can also trigger schizophrenia um so you know she was she was in her 30s and um she had a severe traumatic event happen and well several actually you know her mom and then um she had a baby which isn't shouldn't be considered I mean I guess it's it, it is a trauma to your body you know no it, it it's the biggest blessing in my eyes you know but at the same time it's a trauma to your body and um especially if you have postpartum depression um that can be a traumatic event and then you know my dad left and then she lost everything and um so she turned to alcohol instead of um instead of getting help and my dad left instead of getting her help and things just spiraled from there um i guess when i was back and forth between my parents a lot when i was a kid and um when my dad first left i was he left me with my mom and my brother was with us for a little while uh but I think my mom's drinking and partying and all that stuff became a problem for him, understandably so. And um, he ended up moving in with my grandma, who was quite a bit older at this point in time, because, you know, remember, my parents had me when they were in their mid 30s. Um, And so, so my one one set of grandparents was dead and then my other um was was quite a bit older and wasn't capable of taking care of a young child um so she so she took my brother in but she couldn't take me and so i was left with my mother and um i remember there are a few things that i remember from that time period um that kind of you know, were, were pretty traumatic for me. Um, my mom just left me with anybody that she could whenever she wanted to go party. Um, I remember being left with strangers for days at a time and crying and crying and crying, (laughs) not knowing where my mom was or when she was going to pick me up. Um, I remember having meltdowns where, um, or maybe it was me, I would have a meltdown and then my mom would have a meltdown. And I remember her just shaking me, grabbing me by my arms and just shaking me Um, and locking me in rooms. Um, She would lock me in rooms sometimes Um, that, I mean, looking back on that now, like, I'm like, oh my gosh, that was so terrible. You know, um, when I was little, I loved my mom and I loved my mom and I would have, I would have done anything for her and, you know, that kind of stuff. But I didn't recognize that necessarily what was happening to me was, was neglect and abuse. Um, how can you, when you're that young, you know, I mean, nobody to help me. Um, And, you know, so I just, I I don't remember at what point my dad finally came and got me. I'd been living with my mom at that point and she was leaving me with people. Um, My dad came and got me and he took me to live with him and his new wife, Hallie, the woman he left my mom for. Um, He had uh, remarried her and my brother was living with him at this point. And then she had three children, two boys and one girl. And, um, and 
I remember that time period was pretty great. Um, I lived with them for, I think I moved in with them when I was four. So I lived with my mom for about a year. So from like three to four, um, I lived with my mom. And then my dad came and got me when I was four. And I remember uh, Chad's son of my stepmom. Um, he always bought me big tubs of that double bubble, double bubble gum, <laughs> double bubble, bubble gum. How do you say that? And, um, and I mean, they treated really well. They treated me really well when I was there. Um, I don't, I don't remember anything really traumatic happening during that time period until my dad decided he didn't want to be married to Hallie anymore. And, um, and when he left her, um, she decided to kidnap me. <laughs> and um ran off with me i i don't know exactly where she ran off with me to her parents lived in canada um and i'm pretty sure that that's where she took me um but uh i i i don't remember much from that time period except for i remember um like off me and then I remember being at like the police station or something, um, waiting for my parents. So I remember that. And that was pretty traumatic for me. Um, I don't, I don't really recall what kind of, um, punitive action was taken, <laughs> um, and I, I can't bring it up to my, my dad or anybody because they don't like to talk about those types of things. So I don't know if I'll ever get the full story, but, um, but I was kidnapped once. So that's, that was fun. Um, um, after that happened, I moved back in with my mom um, at this point, because when when I lived with her before, we were still in Springfield, Ohio, and um, her family is from Marietta, Ohio. And back with her, she was living in Marietta with my uncle. Um, my my mom actually had eleven or twelve brothers and sisters, and um, when my grandma passed away, she left her house to all of them because she said that she wanted all of her kids to have somewhere to go, you know, if they ever needed it. And so my uncle had been living there with his kids um, at that point, but he told mom that she could come live with them and he would help out. Um, and so we moved there and for a while things were a little partying and stuff um, and going out and drinking and coming home at all hours of the night, but it wasn't too bad at that point because my cousins and my uncle were there and, um, there was always food and people. Um, but at some point I was probably about, I don't know, I'd say six, six or seven. Um, my uncle and my mom fought all the time and, um, my uncle ended up moving out and buying himself a trailer to live in. And so he and my cousins moved out and it was just me and my mom in the house. And, um, that's kind of when things got bad again. Um, I just, I remember a lot of me being alone, um, during that time period. Um, my mom would sleep all day and then she would be at the bar all night um, she would come home at four o'clock in the morning, um, completely wasted and have random men with her, um, just about every night, if not every other night. Um, I don't really know how I got through that time period, aside from the fact that I'm an avid reader and that's when I 
developed a love for books. Um, I didn't start reading until I was in the third grade when my mom was actually hospitalized again. Um, and at that point, my uncle David moved in with, uh, with me. Uh, they moved into our house so that he could take care of me while my mom was in the hospital. And she must have been in there for a very long time because she care of me for, for several months. And, um, and that, that was a good time period. That was one of the highlights of my childhood. But, um, but of course, you know, mom got out eventually and um, things went back to normal. And, you know, I was a I was a kid who um, never knew if we were going to have food in the house. I remember there were so many nights I would not have anything to eat but a raw potato and I would just have to cut up a raw potato for myself or eat a mustard sandwich or, um, you know, uh, like sometimes we just didn't have food. Um, there were a lot of times we there was um, just just a lot of really um, difficult living situations for for a child to grow up in and and I basically had to raise myself and um, but when I when my uncle David was taking care of me that's when I learned to read and and he taught me how to read and I developed a love for books and Thankfully, my elementary school happened to be um, next to a library. And um, so after school, when my mom was always late picking me up because she was never on time, um, I would just go over to the library and sit and wait on her and read a book or, you know, check out my library books and start walking home because more than likely she probably wasn't going to show anyways. Um yeah, so um, that was a good chunk of of my my early early childhood. Um, I think there was probably about two two or three times that my mom was actually committed, and I I lived with various aunts or uncles. Um, but the one time with my uncle David was the was the longest and and probably the best because he took really good care of me. Um, and we had, we had a very, very strong bond. Um, sadly he passed away probably about 25 years ago now. Um, but, um, he was, he was really good to me and took really good care of me for, for a period of time when my mom was in the hospital and taught me how to read. And I, I just developed a love for books and my love for books gave me an escape. Um, it gave me something to, something to look forward to. And, and, you know, it kind of taught me morals and manners and, and friendship and, and what family's supposed to be like and all of the things that, that my family wasn't, you know, um, I could escape in a book and, and live another life. And, and that really helped get me through, um, you know, when, when I was, when I was eight, nine, 10 up till, you know, I still read. Um, but, but that's when my love for, my love for learning really started. And, um, and somehow I had brains in my head and, and I was a really good student and my teachers took really good care of me when I was at school. Um, but, but I remember my home life just being very, very traumatic and difficult. Um, I remember there was this one time my mom came bounding down the stairs with a Bible and she threw it at the bottom of the stairs and um, when I picture it now, I picture like Gandalf from Lord of the Rings, you shall not pass, you know, um, 
I, um, she said something along those lines of like demons you shall not pass because she was I mean she would have hallucinations that um, there were demons in our house and um, just I mean I can't I can't even uh, some of the things just sound so ridiculous that it's hard to even talk about you know um, but um but yeah, things like that would happen all the time. And um, she just didn't get along with people. Everybody was out to get her. She thought everybody was stealing from her. Um, so anytime like any of my aunts or uncles would try to help out, mom would accuse them of stealing from her. Um, so nobody came around and, and nobody tried to help really other than uh, when, when things were absolutely dire. Yeah. So my first follow-up question for you is, why did you put your own mental health care off for so long? Because I didn't think that I was the problem. Because I didn't think that, well, honestly, I was able to mask my trauma for a really, really long time. Um, how? But I, I had goals. Um, I was always very, very goal oriented. And as long as I had a goal to focus on, um, I could get through what was ever happening. And um, for so long, you know, when when I was younger, it was. It was, I have to get out of this situation. I have to get out of this situation. You know, I have to get good grades so I can go to college, so I can get a good I have to live like this. Um, then it was, you know, I got out of that situation and then it was like, okay, I have to go to college and I have to get a good job. And then um, I focused on that for so long. And then, of course, I had kids and that kind of diverted my attention for a while. Um, and uh, I was... I don't know. I, I was, it was like I had compartmentalized everything for, for such a long time. And then once I graduated college and I got, I got a good job, you know, I landed, I landed the job of my dreams out of college and I thought, okay, now I can be happy. Now, now things are going to be okay. You know, I can relax. My life is my life is going to be okay. And then I still couldn't relax. And I still couldn't, um, I, I couldn't, it, it was like I, how do I explain it? It was like it all caught up to me. And at some point, too, um, about five years ago, I really, I hadn't really put off my mental health in a way of mindfulness. Like, I've always been very mindful um, as far as, you know, after I had my oldest daughter, I had postpartum depression really bad. You know, I recognized that I was having issues and I went to the doctor. I've always been very mindful um, and practiced um, at, at some point about five years ago, I started um, pretty frequently and, um, I don't know if you're familiar, familiar with what like shadow work is. <laughs> um, um, I have heard of it, um, but I'm not super familiar with it. So maybe you can explain that in part two. Yeah, I can do that. Um, basically, you know, it's part of meditation and, and, and trying to figure out what it is that's causing your anxiety. And basically, you're, you're working on the parts of you that you um, that you close off, in a way, I don't know, I can't explain it better in part two, once I've um, read up on it again, and, and I can explain it better. But, but I don't know if Mace, if, if I kind of, um, dredged up 
things that I had forgotten about. And that's when the floodgates opened. Um, Cause I didn't really put off. I mean, I did, I did put off my mental health for about six months prior to what had happened. And that was because I didn't have time. Short answer. I didn't have time. Long answer. I didn't think there was a problem until there was a problem. <laughs> Does that make sense? That makes perfect sense. Okay. Um, and I know you said that it was like super difficult to wrap your head around the diagnosis of your CPTSD. Yes. But did having that diagnosis eventually give you some form of relief? Yeah, it did. It it gave me a lot of relief, especially um, once I started researching and um, and looking into all of the different ways that it affects you. Like it um, it made so much more sense to me. Like for example, um, sometimes when something really scary happens. Um, my, my daughter one time drove a little electric motorcycle into the side of a house and instead of screaming and crying like a normal parent would, I started laughing hysterically and that's a trauma response and that's my nervous system, um, you know, my daughter was okay. <laughs> Thank goodness. And, and honestly, me laughing really diffused the situation. She wasn't hurt if I hadn't been laughing, but you know what I mean? Like, like it just was really an, an, an inappropriate time for someone to start laughing. And, um, but, but I do weird things like that. Um, I, I get, um, I get very anxious anytime I'm doing anything out of my routine. Um, other people really make me anxious. Um, big crowds, I mean, like like being in big crowds makes me extremely anxious. Um, and and I can I, I can't help it. I just start shaking. Like I I can be with people that I trust and in a safe environment and out of nowhere, um, you know, if there's too many people around or I feel like I can't breathe or, you know, I, um, I have an intrusive thought or, you know, anything like that, I'll just start shaking. And it's like completely random for no reason. Um, I don't know. I know there's so many other things that, um, I'm not, I'm just not thinking of at this point in time, but I'm sure we can circle back around to that at some point. Oh, absolutely. So, um, touching on the, like the social anxiety, mm -hmm. what do you do to help yourself calm down? Um, breathing exercises. Um, it really helps me to, um, honestly be alone um if I not alone for example I'm using an example like going to the grocery store um if I go to the grocery store with my kids I am usually extremely and the amount of people and trying to keep track of my children and and doing all of those things um, makes me very anxious. Um, so if I do have to take my kids to the store with me, I make my husband also go keep track of the kids while I'm doing the shopping because, um, I also have ADHD and, <laughs> um, and, and I just have a very hard time, you know, um, in, in social, um, situations, you know, for example, parties, I don't, Really, I do attend some friend parties 
occasionally, you know, like cookouts and stuff like that. Um, but, um, but only if I know several people, um, generally I don't like to go places where I don't, um, I, I also just suffer through it. <laughs> um, I have, I'm very good at masking and a lot of times I just mask through it. So that's how I deal with it. Um, is it sort of the same when you're having a panic attack? Like, do you either just tough it out or, you know, go through your breathing exercises? Um, if I'm having a panic attack, um, generally I will, um, lay down and put in headphones and listen to a guided meditation. Um, that usually calms me down, um, along with the breathing exercises. Um, if I am in a situation where I can't do that, um, for example, uh, there have been times when, you know, I've been working and, um, I've started to have a panic attack because I've gotten overwhelmed and I just have a trusted um, coworker who I can reach out to and say, hey, I'm having a tough time. Can you please, you know, um, you know, talk me through this? Like, because because normally like if it's work related, it's like I've got so many things to do and I can't get my head to organize them correctly and so I just need someone to help me organize my thoughts and calm me down and remind me that things are okay and you know what I mean like I just um I'm very fortunate in the fact that that I have great co-workers and a great supervisor and that they're there, you know, I have a trusted person that when that happens, I can call them and they talk me through it and talk me down and remind me that it's not life or death. And, you know, that, um, that at the end of the day, you know, as long as the work gets done, it's other situations where I, you know, if my husband's around, normally he can, um, help calm me down by talking me through things and he's very um he's very type a personality where I'm very type b so we kind of balance each other out there and um and he's my he's my person you know so anytime he's around I feel more comfortable and he's able to ease my anxiety in situations too so so you know just having a strong support system and um making sure that for me, it's being honest about, about the things that I go through and, um, and asking for help and support when you need it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, how long did your mom rely on alcohol as a coping mechanism? Oh gosh, she still does. Okay. Yeah. I wondered if it had just been. No, no, she still does. It's not as bad as it used to be. Um, she doesn't drink around me or my children. Um, that is one of my many boundaries that I have with her. Um, but, um, she doesn't drink heavy, hard liquor. She just drinks beer. Um, which, is still not great, but, um, but she doesn't get like belligerent anymore. She used to get, she used to drink hard liquor and get belligerent and, um, would like, yeah, just wait till I get to my teen years. (laughs) Um, but yeah, but yeah, she's still, she still drinks. Did your mom's drinking like make you fearful to start drinking? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I, I will have a glass of wine every once in a while. Um, 
but I, I very, very rarely will ever have a drink, um, just because of, and my dad's an alcoholic too. I haven't really gotten into that yet, but my dad is also an alcoholic. So, um, so I got it from both ends of the spectrum and I will never, I will never, never put my children through that. Never. Um, do you think your mom knew what she was doing? Um, in terms of like the abuse and the the neglect when you were younger, or do you think the drinking and the schizophrenia were clouding her judgment to the point where she didn't know it was wrong? I think that my mother has always been under a cloud of delusion. Um, I think she, because anytime I bring up anything that was that happened. According to her, it never happened. Um, you know, things she she took such good care of me when I was a, a kid. Um, you know, if you were to ask her, I had a great childhood. Um, I do not think she was aware. I don't think she was capable. Um, and that's the difference between my parents. Um, and one of the reasons why I have the relationship that I do with my mother, but I don't have much of a relationship with my father. Um, we are reconciling, trying to anyways. Um, but, you know, my, I've always, I've always known my mother loved me. Um, my mother loved me in the only way she could. And, um, she wasn't capable of taking care of me the way I needed to be taken care of. Um, she didn't choose, she did choose the drinking. Um, but on the other hand, again, this was the early nineties. This was way before, you know, people were talking about mental illness like they are now. And, you know, and, and, it was more common for people to, I mean, well, not, maybe not more common. I, I think people self-medicate just as much now, but, um, but it was less common to actually get help, you know, back then for those type of things. And she turned to alcohol instead. And, um, that was a choice in my eyes, but the mental illness wasn't. And so, um, my mother for me, I think with the mental capacity that she had, um, however, my father didn't have the same excuse. He just chose not to be there. Um, this is my last question for this, okay. uh, for this part. Do you think that if you hadn't developed such a strong love for reading that your life would have turned out in some other way than what it has absolutely um I think if I had not developed my love for reading like I did and when I did um then I would have been looking for you know escape elsewhere and um it would not have been hard for me to get my hands on alcohol when I was young or at, at some point when I, when I lived with my dad, it, it wouldn't have been hard for me to get my hands on any type of drugs that I wanted. Um, so I, I can only imagine that if, if I hadn't developed a love for reading and if I hadn't, um, cause like I said, I did, I didn't learn how to read till the third grade and, um, my mom never helped me with homework. My mom never helped me with school. Um, if I hadn't learned how to read, I wouldn't have been able to, um, get the grades that I did to get through school as well as I did and, um, and learn all of the, the things that I learned. I learned compassion from books. I learned empathy from books. I became a better person. Um, simply because I was a reader and, and I had somewhere to escape to. If, if I hadn't, I probably would have been out running the streets and doing whatever I wanted. Um, 
I, I literally think books save my life sometimes. So, yeah. Well, thank you for sharing <laughs> the beginning of your journey with me. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, I hope I didn't ramble too much, and I hope it makes some sense. <laughs> uh, it but, made perfect yeah. sense to me. So okay. I think okay. I I think this will this will really resonate with people who are listening. Okay. Well, I hope so. And um, I appreciate this. I appreciate your time and you giving me a place to to talk. So and to share and to help. I don't know, help others. That's my hope. I just want to help others. So absolutely. And I can't wait to help you share more of your story later on. Thank you for joining us for the first part of Courtney's story. We hope that something within her story resonates with you and that you are able to use it to either help yourself or someone you know in realizing that you're not alone, that someone else feels similar things to what you feel and has been through similar things to what you have been through. Again, this was only part one of her story, so stick around and part two will be out whenever she is ready to record again. Thank you.